they developed this modality to really treat children for good. It originated from that idea that children need something neurological because it wasn't good enough. Immense and significant ripple effect that occurs when we can affect change within a neurological level because it's about the child and their experience um, versus them just behaving better. One of the things we do very, very well and should be done lots of times is make sure that everybody's working off of the same framework. And when I say everybody, it means parents and social workers and attorneys sometimes for these kiddos and teachers, principals, deans, all those guys, they all need to work together um, and learn the things that we're doing. So we've been able to kind of farm out some of these principals in classrooms, in homes, families, anywhere you can really imagine. That is Dr. Ashley Schuf, and this is the WellMind Podcast. The WellMind is a space for meaningful conversations about a broad range of wellness-related topics, with a special emphasis on our mental wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Coles. I've been a practicing mental health counselor for over 15 years, and I'm currently a counselor educator and director for the Clinical Mental Health Counseling Graduate Program at Bethany Lutheran College. For this episode, I invited one of our adjunct faculty, Dr. Ashley Schuf, to join me for a conversation about working with kids and teens. Ashley is the professor of our program's Child and Adolescent Counseling course, and she is the clinical director for a youth-focused intensive day treatment program called STRONG, located in inner city Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Ashley is passionate about her work and generously shares her depth of knowledge and experience in helping kids and teens from hard places with their mental health. In our conversation, Ashley lays out the fundamental pillars for early attachment and how trauma and other adverse childhood experiences derail the neurological processes of development for healthy self-regulation and executive functioning. She and her team at Strong implement the Trust-Based Relational Intervention, or TBRI, which is an evidence-based approach to helping kids and teens heal emotionally, relationally, and neurologically. We take a deep dive into the practices and applications of TBRI from a treatment perspective, as well as how this approach can be implemented by parents in the home and teachers in the classroom. This episode is a must listen for anyone who deeply cares about the relationships they have with the kids and teens in their life. It was a joy to have this chat with Ashley and a privilege to share it with you today. Here is episode 32 of the WellMind podcast, Empowerment Through Connection. Dr. Ashley Schuf, thank you so much for joining the WellMind community and being a guest on the podcast today. I'm really excited to talk with you about uh, children and adolescents, their development. Um, I I love this topic, um, and I think you know, for me, with my background working with kids and teens, um, it's something that I know you're passionate about as well. So, thanks for coming on the show being willing to share your time and expertise. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. I'm really excited to talk about something I love so much too. Yeah. Yeah. So 
help us get to know you a little bit, Ashley, um, that you, you're in Milwaukee right now. You're uh, working in a day treatment type setting for kids, um, but let's you know, kind of rewind the tape a little bit and uh, hear kind of about how you have progressed to get to the practice that you're in, the, the setting that you're in, those kind of things. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll rewind back to a long while ago and kind of give you a little bit of kind of my family background. I'm the oldest of four kids. Um, and I really felt like when I was growing up, I had a natural niche to help other people. And lots of folks would just come to me and say, Ashley, what what in the world should I do about this? And what should I do about this? And, and I really liked solving problems um, and teaching other people and, and uh, really just kind of hanging around with, with other folks. I'm definitely a people person. So then I went to um, graduate high school and then I went to Wisconsin Lutheran College. Um, and there I took one education course, actually. Okay. Um, I was going to become a teacher. A teacher, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, well, I took that education course and I did not like that one okay. bit. I remembered the uh, AP psychology course I took in high school and thought, well, my mind really got energized with that. I really wanted to then understand why people behave the way that they do. And boy, is that a question. Uh, It certainly is. (laughs) Yes. So then I began um, psychology courses uh, at Wisconsin Lutheran College. Really loved that. Majored in psychology and almost double majored in Spanish. Um, I all but needed to go abroad. Um, So I do still know a little bit of Spanish. I can speak some, um, and understand more. (laughs) So this is good. Yeah, for sure. Um, So then I decided that I uh, really liked graduating. Um, I didn't know why I liked graduating so much, but I did like accomplishing things and I wanted to, um, do something with the degrees that I had. And I kind of looked and I said, well, what's the highest degree that I can get? Um, so that's how I became a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I went off to grad school at the Wisconsin School of Professional Psychology. Um, and that's where I really learned a lot more um, in, in the field and in the classroom about um, children uh, and, and psychology. So uh, that's my, my big, long journey on to become Dr. Shoof. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, I mean, you found a lot of enjoyment and satisfaction in just being a student and learning and growing that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, uh, you know, similarly, you know, finished my undergrad and went right into grad school, but I, I needed a break. So when I, I finished my master's, I was like, I'm gonna just work for a little while in the field and get that experience. And I had a I had a doctor supervisor that was encouraging me, hey, you should go finish, get your terminal degree, those kind of I was like, no way, I don't want to do that. So yeah. but but she convinced me um and it it was absolutely worth it. So yeah. What when do you I think? was all done, my husband threw me a a 
graduation party and the invitation on it said she's been at school for 24 years. She's finally done. He counted kindergarten and everything. Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) It's yeah. It's a long road. What, what do you think um, helped you stay motivated and focused through all of that? That's a really good question. Um, I, I really love learning and I constantly want to understand how the brain works um, and why people behave the way that they do. So I would take a course and and yes, it would be daunting and yes, it is a lot of work, Um, but I was so energized by the material um, and I just wanted to keep learning and learning and learning. And even now I still do the same thing, taking continuing education courses and, um, reading this book after this book, after this book, I'm still sure. doing the same thing. I'm just not, no one's holding me accountable for it. <laughs> no. Well, and that's, it, it is nice when you can be more self-directed with, sure. with your learning in that sense. Um, yeah. but I, I do even, uh, doing the podcast as I get exposed to, other fields and perspectives and books like my stack of to read and to listen to just keeps getting longer and longer. Insane. So long. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, so talk to uh, me a little bit about um, the, the work that you're doing right now, um, the both from like a clinical perspective, but also like a, a leadership and, and development perspective. Sure. Yeah. So I I work at Christian Family Solutions and I'm a senior clinical director there. Um, It's a fancy way of saying I wear a lot of hats. Um, So I manage several of our clinics in southeastern Wisconsin. Um, One of them is our Brookfield Clinic, where we have outpatient counseling and our teen child and adolescent program there. Um, But really, I spend a bulk of my time uh, where I'm located right now, actually, in our Milwaukee office. Our Milwaukee office is home to uh, child and adolescent day treatment. Um, It's within the central city in the heart of Milwaukee. Um, And it is really home to day treatment for children ages 4 to 15 currently. Um, This is a labor of love. These kiddos are very, very challenging. Um, often coming from very traumatized backgrounds. And and so they have really intense emotional and behavioral dysregulation that we have to kind of work through. So yeah, this is is the work that I really love doing. Um, It's incredibly rewarding. We get to see kiddos really understand what they can control and feel really proud about that um, through some of their really darkest and toughest moments. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, in terms of a a level of care for people, um, where does day treatment fall? Like how intense is that? What, what kind of care are we actually talking about? Yeah, good question. So, um, day treatment is a higher dose of mental health treatment than your run of the mill outpatient therapy. Outpatient therapy is usually your once or twice a week Um, and sometimes even more spread out than that in frequency. Um, But your day treatment is your your level up from outpatient, but one level lower than inpatient care. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, The day treatment we run is three hours a day, five days a week. And that is, again, lower than your inpatient level of care that could be um, five days in the hospital overnight. 
Sure. Uh, so we're really this in-between level of care where a lot of really good therapy can get done at a higher dose that's needed than your outpatient level. Um, and, and where a lot of the work, the really hard work gets done, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, then the kids are able to be in the community still. Precisely. Um, yeah. They, yep. There's um, a level of yeah freedom, autonomy, you know, home environment, yep. friends, those kind of things. Do they uh, do any academic work while they're in your program or is that separate? Some of them do. Um, it's not necessarily a part of our program, but we work very closely with each of the schools that the children come from. And if they are missing a core class, because the day treatment is during their school day, um, if they are missing a core class, we will request that that homework is sent with them so that we can work on that at Strong. Oftentimes it is the thing that is causing them anxiety in the first place. Um, and the reason that they're displaying behavioral disruption in the classroom, um, maybe because they don't understand math. So we actually have an educational advocate that does work at Strong that um, pulls kids out to work on academic material. Cool. Yeah, that that's super important. Um, when we can integrate those uh, different aspects of a, of a kid's life, um, you know, it's, it's one thing to take them out of school and, right. and do counseling and have that kind of environment, but then they have to go back into school too. So being able to bridge that gap by bringing school into that treatment setting, I think can be really impactful for them to feel more prepared when they do walk back into the classroom. Yes, absolutely. And one of the things we try to do um, at Strong in group treatment is make it look as close to a classroom as possible because that ultimately is where this child will spend six to seven hours of their day. Um, so we want to make sure that they are successful in that environment. And and honestly, that's where our referrals are coming from as well. So they're, they're the struggling yeah. there. Yeah. 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 So that, that uh, is a nice segue, Ashley, into <clears throat> talking a little bit about the intervention style that um, that we're going to discuss today. Um, the, the acronym is TBRI, right? Trust-Based Relational Intervention. Right. Um, and so in the world of, uh, you know, therapy and counseling, you know, obviously this is in both of our wheelhouses and, um, but the, a, a common phrase in our field is that the the relationship between the counselor and the client is the most important factor in being able to do good work together. Mm -hmm. um, and this intervention really seems to be getting at the heart of that and making the, the relationship actually the intervention itself. It, it's not kind of a prerequisite for other work, but the work is actually being done in that. So am I, am I describing that accurately here at yes. like a, yeah. a 10,000 foot view? Yes, you are. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, certainly. So, so talk to us a, just a little bit about where this trust-based relational intervention, just what this is and, and kind of where it comes from or what, where it's emerged from. Sure. Yeah. Um, TBRI uh, originally came uh, from Dr. Karen Purvis and some of her colleagues out of T Texas Christian University. 
um, they were running a summer kind of day camp for, for kiddos. Uh, she'll often say from hard places, but she means those that have been traumatized or in foster care, um, things like that. And they found that they were doing some of the um, interventions, you know, for two, two months or so. And then they, the kids would get better when they're in this camp. Um, and then they sent them off into their environments and then they returned right back to what was um, happening previous to camp. So this is where this really came from. They developed this modality uh, to really treat children for good. Um, and, and it's something that is, is certainly evidence-based. It's been around for many years and, and researched um, in different settings and things like this, but it, it ultimately originated from that um, idea that children need something neurological uh, because it wasn't good enough to just treat behaviorally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so this intervention is uh, not your standard behavior modification plan yeah, not um, at all. where you're trying to, you know, reinforce positive behaviors and extinguish negative behaviors. And that so much of that um, only works in a specific context. And that's what you're describing when I worked in a residential treatment facility. Uh, and again, the, the primary modality there was a behavior modification. And that was the shortcoming. If yeah. there wasn't change in the home environment, if they didn't like accept or, or take on some of the interventions that we were using at the facility, there wasn't lasting change. No so, chance. No yeah. Chance. So, so how, how is this different? Uh, you, you kind of referenced that there's a neurological impact. Yeah. Yeah. Can you explain that? Yeah, it might be a little lengthy of an explanation, but here I go. Um, so, <laughs> That's all right. We'll dive into the deep end. <laughs> we might as well. Um, so, so children uh, that come from a hard place, right? And this is what this was uh, developed for. So I'm going to talk about it from a lens of uh, children that have been traumatized or experienced trauma. Um, in other words, called an adverse child experience. Um, an adverse childhood experience can be one of 10 things on this 10 question scale. Mm. Um, most adults, to give you some context, most adults will have at least a score of one. Um, now, the higher the score, of course, the uh, more trauma that you've had in your, your early life. Now, remember, I said that strong treats children between the ages of four and 15. Our average ACE score for these children is around seven. Um, so this means that our kiddos are from very hard places, <laughs> not just hard places. They're from very hard places. So, um, when we experience trauma at such a young age, um, and I mean, young, anything under the age of 10, right. Yeah. Um, when we experience trauma at a young age, it actually changes the, the brain connectivity and trajectory of development that you have um, and is so important for you when you are, are growing up. Um, the, the best and um, most influential developmental period is between zero and three. And then the second most influ influential developmental period is um, in your earlier adolescent years. It's very similar change that happens in your brain. So when children are, are traumatized in um, early development, their brain is set up in a way that is almost like survival mode. 
so let's t- let's think about if a kiddo is chronically traumatized, usually at the hand of an adult, they will believe that all adults are scary, right? So if I see an adult, that's a threat. My brain um, and, and my nervous system goes into a mode that's either fight, flight, or freeze. And then it stays there, it gets stuck. And we call that survival. We really make sure that um, we know at Strong what, what that survival instinct is for each kiddo. Um, and we try to re-map uh, what they could do, teach their brain what could happen if you know that I'm a trusting adult. So when kiddos come in to strong, they see all adults, some kids, but they're going to see the adults. Kids didn't hurt them. Adults did. Right. Mm -hmm. So they see the adults and they say, their brain says, you're a threat until I prove to them otherwise. And that's where trust-based relational intervention comes in. Trust-based relational intervention or TBRI is based off of three pillars. Those three pillars are Uh, connection first. That's that trust. It's almost redoing the trust versus mistrust stage in Eric Erickson's theory of development, um, where if the baby cries, the adult picks them up, comforts them, holds them, um, gives them what they need. Now at baby stage, it's one of three things, right? So, um, and that sometimes was missing for the kiddos that came from hard places. So we have to essentially remap how many thousands and thousands of times we've picked children up and how many thousands of times that got missed Mm -hmm. with that child. That's, that's an incredible brain thing that happened um, and can really impact the rest of your life regarding attachment. So first we work on that connection in that first pillar, and I prove to you that I am a safe adult. I do that by getting down to your level, listening to you, making eye contact, asking you what you need, and swiftly getting you what you need. Hmm. All right. And then we can move on to the second pillar called empowerment. And empowerment is really um, letting that child know that they have a voice now because I'm the safe adult and I heard you, you told me what you needed and I got it for you. And I'm saying yes to you. Now I'm not going to be bulldozed and I'm not going to have them um, ask for things that are completely out of the realm of possibility and give it to them, but within reason. Now empowerment occurs where now you can go out into the world because you have some new brain connectivity and you can go out into the world and you can, you can make different choices because they're, now your brain believes that sometimes there are safe adults and sometimes there are not, right? It has a different choice. So now empowerment occurs. And the third step, the third pillar is correction. You can only do correction uh, if you have connection and empowerment. And all too often our pure behavioral models skip those two steps and go straight to correction. And absolutely, I can do behavioral modification in about two months and it'll look beautiful. 
Um, and I can do that. But the minute I put these kids out into um, their other environments and their brain wasn't healed, they go right back to that survival mechanism where they got stuck in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. So, so much good stuff there. I mean, like, like, like you said, I told just, you it was long. <laughs> yeah. Just dive into the deep end. Um, and now we can swim around and, and figure some of these things out. Yeah. So we've got connecting, we've got empowerment, and then we've got correction. So let's just set correction aside for now and focus on these first two pillars of connecting and empowerment. Yeah. Uh, you, you use a really important word in our field uh, as you were talking about connecting, and that was attachment. Yeah. Um, and it was specifically as it relates to adults, uh, children attaching to the adults in their life. And, and children do that by having an adult that helps them regulate, you know, whether, so whether they need food or whether they need their diaper changed or they need warmth uh, or comfort or whatever, the adult giving that to them is kind of essentially teaching them how to regulate, but but without that, they don't, they don't have a format to learn how to regulate. So they survive, which is, I think, uh, an appropriate use of that term. Um, so even in non-threatening environments, they're still in a survival mode interaction with uh, whoever it is. So if they're in the classroom, their teacher could be super nice, but they are still acting in a mode of survival in that classroom. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because they didn't believe that that teacher could take care of them mm -hmm. because they learned from an early age, I have to take care of myself. Yeah. So this isn't about just being nice to, to kids that that's not what this it's or, or something, but it's, it's, it's a far more intentional approach. Um, You know, you talked about getting on their level um, and really finding out what the need is and then addressing it, right? Like like meeting their needs. So like what kind of, I mean, what are we talking about in terms of needs? Like what are some, some things that we're, we're even discussing here? Sure. Um, The easiest thing to remember is the word halt. Um, This stands for, is the child hungry, angry, and that can be about anything, lonely or tired. And that is generally what these kiddos need. Um, I I have kiddos all the time that become dysregulated because um, they didn't, I find out later on that they didn't get enough sleep the night before, Um, or they didn't come having eaten lunch. (laughs) And so their behavior is going to show me. um, They really have an inability to say, I'm hungry to eat lunch. Hmm. Instead, they might call me a name or throw something at me or run away. Right. Um, and though that's the easiest way to remember what, what sorts of needs we're getting asked about. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, hungry, you give them food, tired. Okay. Let, let's figure out a way to get some rest, yep. you know, um, what about the the lonely part? Yeah. Yeah. That one might just be they're they're feeling like they don't have friends or people in their corner. Mm-hmm. So remember, I'm I'm proving to them I'm the safe adult and I'm the one that's gonna be in their corner. So the kiddos that come through strong, um, they are like my little family. They're my kids. Mm-hmm. 
right? And, and I'm going to help them and I'm going to advocate for them and I'm going to fight for them. And they know that, right? So, and, and they see me doing it um, because I'm, I'm, again, taking time with them and giving their voice power. Um, and I'm able to teach them that you aren't lonely anymore. I'm with you. And what the other thing we try to do um, through a group format, because strong is a is a group format um, in day treatment, uh, has a little to do with this, but a, a lot more to do with empowerment. And it helps with that lonely need. We we tend to we we have all of our age groups in um, different group rooms. So there's four different age groups that we split them up into, and that is like their home base, their classroom, their group room. Oftentimes when they're dysregulated, they have to leave that pod of people and that's their people. We teach them that's their people. You belong in this group uh, and this is why, right? And we talk about all those reasons. But when they're dysregulated, they have to leave. So in order to get them back into the place we know they want to be in, because they are a lonely person, um, little girl, little guy, uh, they uh, we teach them that the group the group feels sad that you're not with them. Hmm. I think your group mates, they really miss you. Should we get back over there? Yeah. Um, that's an empowerment piece that you matter. Mm-hmm. And it creates that sense of identity that I'm also good. I'm worth something. I've got people in my corner and I'm making friends. Yeah. And so oftentimes by the time a kiddo graduates, they just don't want to leave. So I tell them, I said, well, I don't want to see you back here as a patient, but I do want you to come work for me someday. So Mm. keep making good choices so that can happen. Yeah. And they all get really excited about that. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I, I, I love that, that even in that moment where they're struggling, you're reminding them that people care about them, that people are thinking about them and missing them. And, and it's because they belong there. Yep. Um, and I think too, too often, um, you know, kids get defined by their behavior rather than by just being who they are. Right. And, um, or by a diagnosis or, you know, by a, a single, a single trait, you know, that they might have. And, uh, so I just, I love that, that this really just lets go of all of that and really I helps them identify as a, as a person that belongs in a group. Yeah. Yeah. Almost a hundred percent of our kids come in believing they're a naughty or a bad kid. Yeah. So really we have to debunk that while teaching them. I'm a safe adult. This is super challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, And it takes probably one to two months to really do that connection piece. The whole month, the first month they're here, they're, they just finally learned my name (laughs) Um, (laughs) and that, what my role is here or yeah. any of anybody else's role. And, and then that second month, we're really working on that relationship that I've got you and I'll always have you. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious what your perspective is on touch because you, you were talking about how, you know, like as a parent, when your son or daughter is like crying or tearful, like we want to just scoop them up and hold them, mm-hmm. um, give them that physical comfort, um, mm-hmm. as well as you know what we might say verbally to reassure them, to connect with them. But from from a connecting standpoint with these uh, children that you're serving, yeah. where does where does touch come in? 
all the time. Actually, yeah. yes, uh, really from the get go. Um, and we really try uh, in the in the first week or so to determine whether or not touch is a thing that they want or don't want. Oftentimes, our kiddos are missing that component from very early on, so it's something they crave, um, and they didn't even know they craved it. Mm-hmm. Right, so. We do teach kiddos that you can't just come up and hug me. You have to ask for a hug and boundaries are important. But when a child is dysregulated, um, we we tell them every time before we're going to, um, you know, put a hand on a shoulder or I'll try that in the band. They go, ooh, and they do. And they kind of like brush their shoulder off mm-hmm. um, at me. I'll learn. Well, maybe we don't want touch right now and that's okay. Um, but especially a lot of our little guys, they're craving that attention. Um, and so they, they want piggyback rides and they want, um, to be scooped up. Sometimes they want to sit on your lap. They, they want to get hugs all the time. Um, those kids, those four five and six year olds are once they learn that you're a safe adult, um, it's almost like, uh, being a parent and coming home after a day of work and your kids come running to you and give you a hug. It's exactly what these children do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's both really cool. And it really feels sad to be like, Oh, wait a minute. Did you ask? Cause I do want to hug them like my own kiddos. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also need to teach them boundaries. Um, and, and we really do stop them and say, Oh, Oh, Johnny, I need you to ask. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll stop and go, Dr. Ashley, can I have a hug? Well, yes, you can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there's skill building there that's going exactly. on as well. I mean, so right. it is, it's, it, but the skills are occurring within the course of that relationship that you, you have it. with them. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So talk, talk a little, let's talk uh, about empowerment because it, it sounds like there's an element of, of choice and discernment and like being able to self-direct that goes along with empowerment and kids. Yeah. Four to to 15 don't always have a lot of choice, frankly. I mean, and, and so then at least from my experience and I think the literature bears this out when you restrict choice you know, at a developmentally inappropriate level, then that, that you know, they, they kind of, you can't see what I'm doing because it's an audio podcast. So what I'm doing <laughs> with my hand, but they like, the more you try and squeeze down on them, the more they slip out and, right. and then uh, start making choices yep. that are unsafe or inappropriate for them exactly. developmentally. So, so how do you, I don't know. There, I don't know what the question is there, Ashley. I think I, know, know, but... I think I know where you're getting at. Um, so you're, you're right in that our four to 15 year old kiddos don't necessarily have a lot of choice with like the outside world, but they have all the choice in how they choose to behave or think or feel. Right. So we really teach them that's where their empowerment lies is within your own self. Um, and we teach their parents it's okay if they don't match clothes. If they wanted to wear X, Y, Z, they can do that, right? Own identity kind of stuff. So, um, but mostly what we work on is you you have the choice um, to be really angry about that or to remember it's a little deal, right? You have the choice to treat your group mate nicely because your group mate is your group mate and that is your pod. That's your people, 
right? Um, we, we teach them that they have choices all the time. A lot of kiddos um, will say to me, I'm so mad that I could, um, and usually it's something with self-harm or suicidal ideation. And I usually tell them, I think I know how mad you are without the use of those words. So could you try it again without saying those words? Now, of course, we have to do the right risk assessment and make sure that we're really just mad and not all this. But usually that's the case. Um, Empowerment has a lot to do, too, with the way that you um, set up the room. In the, in the group room, again, making a kiddo feel like they belong in the place. So TBRI teaches that there's these artifacts um, that goes along with empowerment for an individual. Um, you might think of these as uh, rituals or routines, things that are done. Have you ever seen those um, videos that pop up on social media every now and again, where the teacher is at the Uh, in a classroom and the kids are entering for the day uh, and the teacher has a handshake with each one of them or um, something like that. That is empowerment. Okay. Okay. Um, That is a ritual that means something to that specific individual. And it's working on that relationship between the teacher and the student. Mm. So the same thing happens at strong with regard to connection and empowerment is we create certain things um, that means something for that group. Another example is um, when a kiddo discharges from strong, they get to paint their hand any color that they want, any design that they want um, within reason. Now they're discharging, so it's all appropriate stuff. I've never actually had a kid like ask for something inappropriate when they're discharging. Um, which is why we do this at the end of the day or at the end of the time versus the beginning. Um, So anyway, we uh, paint their hand. I've got one uh, therapist in one group, and this is what she does in this group. After she's done painting the hand, um, they, everyone will put their hand on a tree and that becomes the leaves of the tree. And every kiddo does that. Mm. Okay. Okay. Um, after that is all done, she puts her hand up for a high five and, uh, the painted hand, the kiddo that just graduated Mm -hmm. gets to high five (laughs) and now paint is on the therapist's hand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No other therapist does that. Yeah. Every group room does something a little different, which says you're mine. You're part of this room. Another group room, um, the older kid room, he has taken a picture with every single child that has graduated from his room after the graduation ceremony. Mm. Um, and he, uh, the, the kiddo gets to decide what pose they do. Again, these are always appropriate because we're discharging. Yeah. No sarcasm. Yeah. I promise they are. Um, and, and it's just really cool to see. He gets excited about it every time, but that is a ritual, something that that child will look forward to and know will occur for them as well, because mm-hmm. they matter, they're worthy, and they mean something. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I love those. I love yeah. those. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's such a, it's, it really is flipping the script because when, uh, I mean, I don't think the word empowerment is getting used in daily language for these kids yeah. um, or, or maybe even for their parents or something like that. But, um, you know, so much of like choice 
seems to be focused on those external things. Like exactly. I, I want to do this or I don't want to do that. Um, and that's where these like power struggles can come in between the, right. the authority person and that child, because they're trying to practice. Uh, they're trying to express that individualism that like I'm my own person and I can make my own choice. So that through that healthy relationship that you've established with this modality, then you're opening up a whole host of uh, choices that they can make within the context of that relationship. And, and I'm sure then the, the goal too is for them to carry that forward into other uh, contexts, other situations that like, I can, I can still do this um, because it's about me. Right. right. It's, it's more like my behavior, my actions, I get to choose how to respond to this situation, even if I can't control that situation, which most of us, even as adults, we can't. Exactly right. Um, You have two different choices in every situation. One is usually negative and one is usually positive, (laughs) you know, at least two choices in every Mm -hmm. single situation. Um, You did mention, you know, the kiddos being able to kind of take it out into other places. And there, there is this immense and significant ripple effect that occurs when we can affect change within a neurological level, because it's about the child and their experience um, versus them just behaving better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we do very, very well and should be done lots of times is make sure that um, everybody's working off of the same framework. And when I say everybody, it means parents and social workers and attorneys sometimes for these kiddos and um teachers, principals, deans, all those guys, they all need to work together um, and learn the things that we're doing. So we've been able to kind of farm out some of these principles in classrooms, in homes, families, anywhere you can really imagine. Yeah. Yeah. That's really neat. Um, so, so then, yeah. What does um, TBRI like in a classroom, like at a, at a, just a school, obviously that's different than a day treatment setting, but I, I don't know, how does that look maybe similar, but also different in a, yeah. in like a classroom setting? Yeah, I would say I, I can't imagine it being super different, honestly, um, yeah. because it, I mean, it just the only difference I think is that you've got five times the amount of kids um, in a room. And so how do you connect with each one of them? Um, I think that happens with, uh, time. Um, and you have this group of 20 kids maybe for nine months. Um, so I think you have that time and that's a benefit to using this modality in a classroom. Um, but really it's about that, that teacher, um, creating those artifacts within the room, um, that allow the child to feel as if they belong there right? Uh, That alone will increase the amount of connection that they have with that teacher. And I would say the more that the teacher also, especially with littler kids, because they're smaller, Mm -hmm. get down to their level versus talking over them, Mm. um, they can still give the same direction when they're eye to eye. But let's say a kiddo is struggling with something, sitting at their desk, and the teacher comes over and hunches over them to help them. How different would your message be if you knelt down beside them and now you were eye to eye versus over? 
Yeah. Okay. Um, just imagine that in your brain, if someone's taller than you and, and you're pretty tall, Ben, so imagine <laughs> that, I don't know, but someone's there's, there's taller a than, few, <laughs> right? Most people are taller than me. Okay. Yeah. So people that are taller than me and are giving me a direction that makes me feel as if I don't know what's going on. Mm. I develop a whole lot of shame yeah. and guilt that I don't get it. And so really to debunk that shame, get eye to eye with them. And simply doing that is going to make a world of difference. Mm-hmm. Now, now that's a simple tactic and it's a very tiny little piece in TBRI, but one way in which that can be done in the classroom easily. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, it's an intentional practice that you can bring into the classroom. Um, you know, most classrooms have, you know, sets of tables or desks with rows and, you know, maybe the teacher's walking up and down that row and it's one thing to give a direction, you know, stop and give a direction while you're standing over them. I can totally visualize that versus just crouching down, maybe even putting a hand on the shoulder. Exactly. What's up? What can I help you with? What do you need? What do you need? Yeah. Uh Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, it seems, well, it seems simple and I hope that it, is I hope that those things it doesn't have to be overly complicated, but um, I think, like you pointed out, time, the number of students in a classroom, um, you know, the individual differences and needs of certain students. I've just over the course of years, I've heard lots of reasons why teachers will give for not doing some of these things, um, and I just appreciate that you're laying it out in a way that mm-hmm. it's like, no, it, it is simple to implement some of these things. It's not a complicated system here that we're talking about. Yeah. There's no, we're not talking about charts and tracking and yeah, all of these, I, I you know. certainly, I certainly am not telling anything. Um, I, I really, yeah, let me, let me back up. I, I want to make sure that teachers and and adults understand that I'm not asking you to do something extra. I'm simply asking you to reframe what you already do, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and look at it from a lens that um, you are connecting with the child because that's what their brain needs. Um, Children don't just regulate on their own. They co-regulate with the people around them. How many times do you see, an adult that's upset and the kid is matching that adult, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If you were to lower and if you were to regulate yourself and you get that kiddo closer to you through some touch, they're actually going to match you. You know, they'll match your breathing. They'll match your heart rate. They'll match you. Mm -hmm. But if you're high, they're going to be high. If they're lower, they're going to be low. I'm, I'm simply not asking to do something extra. No charts, please. No charts. Um, just really (laughs) just change the way we're saying some phrases, change the, a little bit about the way you're doing something already. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and putting your energy into that. I think that's the other part is like, like that matters. It makes a huge difference. Um, it's not, you know, it's not a waste of time. It's incredibly meaningful. So, Mm -hmm. so then, um, Again, it's going to look similar in a family system within a home, um, you know, like actually stopping what you're doing, turning toward the child, you know, getting down on their level, listening to them. Yep. All of that 
that can happen at home too. And there's a hundred different barriers that can come up for why it doesn't happen. And there's, there's no perfect family system either where that's going on all the time. But when you make that an intentional habit, right, this is how we interact. This is how we communicate with one another. You're really fostering that sense of attachment, that secure attachment and connection. You got it. Yeah. I myself um, catch myself um, when I'm with, uh, I'm not sure that I mentioned I have five boys, so they're often all over the house. Um, And I myself catch uh, me trying to tell an instruction and I'm in one room and my oldest is in another room. Sure. Do you think he's going to come? No, no. He's not. So yes, I I absolutely have to go to him, develop the connection. Hi, remember I'm mom. (laughs) Um, And and this is what I'd like you to do. A hundred percent more successful. Yeah. But time is something that, you know, they're they're just more hours in a day would be helpful. Yeah. And so I get it. There's a hundred different barriers as to why um, it can't be done all the time, but there's yeah, but also a hundred different reasons why it should be right. Exactly. And so if it, if it's, this is, this is the aim, this is the goal, this right. is the intention that I'm setting. Um, you're, you're going to follow through on it a hundred times more than if you just leave it to chance or you're not really thinking about it because yeah, yep. but, um, I just, and that's a reoccurring theme in the well mind is, is bringing intention into whatever you're doing. Like these things aren't going to happen by accident. Yeah. So we should circle back and talk a little bit about correcting because I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that even in a really good relationship, even when you're trying to give choices, there are times when dysregulation persists or a a poor choice still is going to happen. And uh, and, and a skill needs to be developed or, or a correction needs to happen. So how, how do we start going about that? You got it. Um, it really can only be done if there's a strong connection with that adult. Um, we found too, uh, at our, our day treatment clinic that I, as a new adult coming in to try to help with a kiddo that doesn't really know me, I'm going to be wildly unsuccessful, even though I know exactly what I'm doing right? Because I don't have a connection with that child. And that is proven over. And it just happened this morning to me. It was proven over and over and over again. So correction really begins with the relationship. Um, And this is where we teach them these skills. Oftentimes um, children are, when they're dysregulated, they're wildly disrespectful, right? So um, having them try it again, Uh, trying the words again, trying the behavior again, but the words are try it again with respect. And then they learn what respect looks like, what it feels like, what it does, right? Um, It gets them what they want usually. So the other day we had a kiddo um, demand that she have a stapler for her art project. Well, I'm sorry, sweetheart. I'm not going to give it to you when you demand it from me, but I will absolutely meet your need and request if you try it again with respect. She was given that direction. And um, because of the relationship, she tried it again immediately, you know, and she said, could I please have the stapler? And immediately we popped up to go get the stapler. Easy. 
Yeah. Easy as that. Now, is every situation as easy or does it go that quickly? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a time and a place also for um, physical aggression and what we do with that. TBRI um, doesn't really address that uh, physical aggression. There are other de-escalation strategies that staff can learn and parents can learn and teachers can learn to figure out what to do with physical aggression. Um, But that correction, 70% of your dysregulated behavior can be dealt with the third pillar of TBRI, correction. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of it can be, and it's if you you catch it um, early enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. It seems like an early intervention where you see things starting to escalate. Yeah. Um, and then it's like a, there, there's a there's a little bit of feedback there that you're giving, saying okay that that wasn't um, accurate because it wasn't respectful or it wasn't kind or whatever, and so you're giving them an opportunity rather than going like straight to a a consequence. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. giving them another shot, yeah, like a, kind of like a do over, like hey that that one doesn't even count. Try again. Yeah. Well, and really, you know, it's about building brain pathways. If I'm just going to tell you, no, that was wrong, but I'm not going to give you the opportunity to do something different. What did your brain just learn? Mm. Don't get caught. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. It learned this. Is, it, it didn't learn a different pathway. It still learned the same pathway. So if we've got kiddos running in our halls, guess what they need to do? The point at which they started running, they go back, they try it again. Their yeah. brain needs to learn to walk from the point they started running. Yeah. Um, and every one of them knows that, <laughs> you know, it's a rule that happens in school. I mean, so it's about correcting, <laughs> but it's more than correcting behavior because you want them to be compliant. Mm. It's correcting because you want their brain pathways to be adaptive. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So compliance is not the ultimate goal here. Nope. Yeah. And that that's flipping the script too. Sure is. It really is because um, so oftentimes in adult to child interactions, um, it's the adult demanding that the child make accommodations for the adult's behavior, like do it my way, do it this way. And, and the goal then is compliance. Yeah. Um, whereas this is much more, I'll use the word facilitative, I guess. To, right. to give that child an opportunity to grow, to learn, and to essentially do something different without the yeah. fear of a lot of punishment or consequence coming down on them. Well, if you think about us as adults, what do we need to do nearly every day to our situations? Adapt. Mm-hmm. We need to problem solve. We need to figure it out. Um, we don't need to comply with and conform with, and, and we need to be law-abiding law citizens, yes, but um, adapting to the nuances of everyday life. If I don't teach my, my child that, if I don't teach these children that skill, are they ever going to be adept at adapting mm-hmm. and problem solving? The answer is likely no, which is why we are kind of having a generation of kiddos that expect all these things to just come to them versus figuring it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, a lo- kind of along those lines, um, can you, I guess I'm curious about that. If you could say a little bit more about how there has been a shift, um, 
I don't know, would you say over the last five to seven years? I would probably? say that's accurate. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And and kind of what your what your hunch is about that or what the the research is indicating. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with um technology and the social media that we have kind of okay. in our in our realms. Um you know what I'm really noticing and I can't quite honestly pinpoint why it is, um, is that parents just don't have a skill set to assert um, this connection and kind of control in their environments. They are the adults. They don't need compliance, but they're not teaching children the same way. And I can't quite figure out um, why that shift occurred. Um, I think there's a push to get kids a lot of things. Um, there's a push to get them involved in a lot of things and versus uh, developing those relationships and connections. And I often feel like and think that might be one of the reasons is because we don't actually have really good parent-child attachments. Um, so the relationship isn't fueling a lot of those uh, choices or adaptations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah i i i agree that it technology uh and particularly media yeah. um of of all different sorts seems to um drive us into more i don't know silos even in our own home you know rather than You're right um spending a lot of time connecting um and i think again implementing an approach like the like this whether it's in the classroom or in the home environment like there isn't it's kind of creating a different space yep within those environments where it's about connecting rather than about i don't i mean distracting or about entertainment or you know something along those that's lines it. yes that's it we do not have to constantly as adults make sure that our kids are entertained um but rather sit with them play with them um make sure that uh they they are, are coming to you and talking to you about things make time and space for that um yeah. family dinner night family game night mm -hmm. uh special little dates with each child. <laughs> yeah. I, I get it. It's time, it's money, it's space. I, I understand. But also um, they, they don't have to be entertained all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, you know, frankly, so my, my story from this past weekend, I guess is uh, so my oldest son um, and, you know, I have six kids. That's so right. Yep. I'm right. I'm right there with you. Yeah. Uh, big family. Um, but my oldest he turned 17 this week. Um, he couldn't even believe that he was 17. He was kind of <laughs> like, I can't, I can't believe I'm 17, but, but sure enough, he was. So um, part of his birthday gift this year, he, he got a new bed. So my oldest son actually is bigger than me. He's taller than me. He's, <laughs> he's a, a big, strong guy. Um, so we got him a brand new bed um, and super excited for him for this, but we uh he was at work and i needed to build it you know put it together so but my youngest um who's nine um i invited her to come in and say hey help me build this bed 
Um, and it wasn't like super complicated and it was totally stuff that she could do. Yeah. And we just chit chatted away. Yep. Built the bed, followed the directions, you know, like, Oh, we got to turn it this way. And, um, the sense of empowerment yes. from her, uh, was, it was fantastic. Like yes. she was so proud to tell her old bro- oldest brother, like I helped build your bed. Yeah, you know, that's and she, perfect. That's and it. she goes, I can come in and lay on it anytime I want now because I helped build that bed. <laughs> not goes, sure that's I don't how know. he's gonna think it works. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. But, no, but no, I mean, that's like, just it. Inviting your kiddos to do the things that you have to do anyway. You yeah. still you have to cook dinner. Mm-hmm. It's gonna take what five extra minutes if you yeah. allow your child to help you. Yeah. Let them struggle through it a little bit. Let mm-hmm. give that an opportunity for you to be there when they're struggling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I love those moments. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I just feel really grateful anytime yep. I'm able to do that with any of my kids. And so I, I just like, you know, it, when you have that connection, when you see them growing and feeling that sense of empowerment, like that's more satisfying as a, as a parent than anything else. You're right. So I I think that's um, all the motivation that I need. (laughs) Absolutely. Totally right. So Ashley, if people are wanting to know, you know, whether it's for their school or whether it's for their own home, more about trust-based relational intervention, this approach where they can kind of dig in or learn more, what, what resources do you like to point people toward? Sure. Um, TBRI, uh, even if you just put that into Google, has a fantastic website that has many, many, many resources for professionals, for um, families, uh, and the like. Um, YouTube has so many TBRI videos. Um, Some are short, some are extremely long. which give you a a pretty clear snapshot on what this is, depends on how you learn, read things or watch things, doesn't matter. Sure. Um, But both of those resources really do give you a lot of information related to um, this particular modality, which again, isn't asking you to do anything extra, just different. and then, so I will link those websites, yeah. uh, the TBRI website. Um, yeah. If there's some videos that you are a big fan of, we'll connect sure. those and I'll put those in the show notes when yes. this episode is released. Yeah, very good. Absolutely. I'll certainly send you those so you can add them on there. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And if people are interested in learning more about Strong and yeah. about the services that you're providing and the uh, in the Milwaukee area, what's the best way for people to learn more about that? Sure. Um, yeah, we have our own website, strongcenters.info. And really that's going to give you all the information about where we're located, how to call us, how to make a referral, anything like that. You can find all that information also on the Christian Family Solutions website. Um, and uh, looking up at uh, day treatment there and you'll find strong. And so just a few clicks away, you can find it there. Again, all that information, but really we're only a phone call away and we'll take it from there. Cool. Cool. That's awesome. 
Ashley has been amazing having you on the podcast. Thank you again. Um, very grateful for your time, uh, for your expertise, for your compassion and all the work that you're doing at strong um, and all the, the kids lives that you're impacting through that work. Thank you so much. It was such a joy to talk about this. I, I absolutely love this topic and, and really it's just something I'm super passionate about. So, so thank you again. Awesome. Be well, Ashley. Yes. Thank you. A big thank you to Ashley for joining the WellMind community. And thank you for spending your time with me today. If you enjoyed our conversation, please check out previous episodes. Click rate and subscribe through your podcast app and let people know about the WellMind podcast. Maybe share the episode with someone you think might enjoy giving it a listen. And please check out the links in the show notes so that you can get access to the resources and information Ashley referenced during our discussion. Many thanks, as always, to the staff here in the BLC podcast studio. You guys do an amazing job. Thanks for all your support with The Well Mind. And thank you again for listening. And until next time, be well.